Presence class on Sunday, you can go to our website, presenceclass.org, and you can look at our lessons. Now, this passage in Luke chapter 17 is very appropriate for the Thanksgiving season because it deals with a man who comes back and gives Jesus thanks. It's a story that we all know. At least we think we understand it well. Uh, so we're going to pick up at Luke 17 and verse... 11. And let me give you the background and the setting of what's going on here. Jesus is traveling with a large crowd of people, pilgrims, if you will, down to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. Thousands of people will end up in Jerusalem. Anywhere between a half a million and a million people every year to celebrate Passover. And they come from all areas throughout Palestine. And Jesus is coming from Galilee down through uh right on the edge of Samaria, coming into Jerusalem, and there are thousands of people on this road. Now, because Jesus is a rabbi, he probably has hundreds, maybe even thousands of people around him because he's a miracle-working rabbi, and there are people just hovering around Jesus, trying to hang on to every word that he speaks, maybe possibly see a miracle. This trip from Galilee down to Jerusalem is 80 miles, which would take several days on foot, especially if you're wearing sandals. And the ground in that region is not flat like Texas. You know, you have to go through mountains and twisting trails, and it's a very dangerous area. And so that's what's happening, and they're heading southward. So we'll pick up at verse 11. Now it happened as he went to, to, to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Now, notice this phrase in my King, New King James Bible. It says, in the midst, or in the, the region of Samaria and Galilee. He probably did not go through Samaria. Because Samaria was forbidden territory for the Jews. Now, Jesus himself would have no problem going through there. But since he's with a group of pilgrims, and thousands are heading down this way, they're probably skirt. Samaria. They avoid Samaria because the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. And there's a reason for that. Way back seven, eight hundred years before the time of Christ, after the kings reigned, after King Saul and King David and King Solomon reigned, and then the kingdom divided into two, uh, the land divided between the northern kingdom made up of ten tribes and the southern kingdom made up of two tribes, there was uh, an invasion that took place. The Assyrians, a great military power, swept down and they invaded the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. And they scattered the people. At that time, Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And the Assyrian Empire brought in foreigners to rule that area. And they became known as the Samaritans. And they ruled with an iron hand. And when the Jews came back to that land, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along with each other. And there had been animosity ever since. And so Jesus and the pilgrims probably skirt Samaria. And then look what it says in verse 12. It says, then as he entered a certain city, there met him ten men who were lepers, 
who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Now, several things stand out in this passage. First of all, the city is not mentioned. It just says a certain village, uh, presumably a Jewish village where they entered in. Probably uh, they entered into that village to spend the night. Since the trip was several days, you'd have to spend several nights on the road. And it tells us that these men that met them were outcasts. They were lepers. And that's why it says they stood afar off. Do you see that phrase right at the end of verse 12? Uh, they were unclean. Lepers could not get within 100 yards of another person. So they had this, or 100 feet of another person. So uh, they had to stay at least 30 yards, 40 yards away from anybody. And so they come up and they stand afar off. Now notice they know Jesus' name. They call him Jesus. That means his reputation has preceded him. And it's reached this village. And when they hear that this Jesus is coming, they say, Jesus, have mercy on us. Notice they think that Jesus can help them. In fact, they call him Master. Uh, that's a word that slaves would refer to uh, when speaking of their bosses. Their bosses were their masters, their benefactors. They said, Lord, we want you to be our benefactor. We want you to provide something for us. And so they call him uh, master. They think he can do something for them. And all they ask for is mercy. Now, very interestingly, in verse 14, we see what happens. It says that when he saw them, he said to them, Go sell, show yourself to the priest. Now, this is an indication that they're going to be healed. Uh, back in Leviticus chapter 14, if a person had leprosy and he thought he was healed, uh, he had to go and show himself to the priest. Lepers, when they got a small spot on their skin, when a person ever got a small spot on their skin, and we've all had small spots, and maybe they cracked open and they bled or some uh, fluid came out of that spot, if that spot stayed on their skin for more than seven days, uh, they were considered unclean. And the priest would say, you're a leper, if that's what he determined it was. At that point, they had to stay away from everybody. When the spots healed up, the leprosy healed up, if they ever did, and that rarely happened. Then there was a procedure that you followed. You had to go, according to Leviticus 14, show the priest that you had been healed. And he would test the disease to determine whether it had been healed or not. You had to make sacrifices. And then if he proclaimed you clear, then you could uh, go back into society. You no longer had to stay 100 feet away from people. So Jesus says, go to the temple, basically, and show the priest that you... Just, he just says, go show the priest. The implication is that they're going to be healed, or they are healed. Now, verse into verse 14 says, And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. Notice that. As they went, they were cleansed. He said to them, while they were still lepers, go show yourself to the priest. And guess what they had to do? Obey 
Now, if I were the leper, I'd say, why should I show myself to the priest? I got leprosy. <laughs> Nothing to show him. But they all go. They obey Jesus. And as they go, they are healed. Now, when we look at these ten men, we see several similarities that they all have. For example, they all have the same disease. All of them are lepers. Second of all, they all decide to do something about it. They decide to come to Jesus. That's ten of them decide to do that. You can't get ten people to do too much, <laughs> agree on too much together, but they do. Uh, they believe that he could help them. They all called him master. All these things they have in common. They all go to show themselves to the priest. They obey his instructions, and as a result, they're healed. Now, that's what they have in common, but that's where the similarity ends. Because if you look at verse 15, look what it says. And one of them... When he saw that he was healed, returned. One of them, when he saw he was healed, returned. He doesn't proceed to the temple. He comes back to Jesus. He comes back to the person who has proclaimed him to be healed. And then look what he did. It said, and with a loud voice, he glorified God. Well, we would expect that. If you're healed, you'd praise the Lord. That's sort of a normal reaction. But then he did this in verse 16. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, showing that he believes that Jesus is God's agent for the healing. Amen. And he falls down at Jesus' feet, and this is an act of submission. He submits to Jesus. He's beholden to Jesus, in a sense. And then look what it says. It says this, and this is where the bombshell comes. This is where Luke pulls the rug right out from under us. This is the jaw dropper, if you will. He says at the end of verse 16, this is Luke's commentary. And this man was a Samaritan. That's the jaw drop. That would be like me saying, and this man was a Muslim. And this man was a Muslim. See, this is what you don't expect right here. This is the bombshell. We have assumed that the ten lepers were all Jewish. You see, Luke has used a literary device here to shock his audience, but it doesn't shock us. You know why? Because we already know the story. We've read it a thousand times. <laughs> but imagine his audience. Remember, Luke's writing 35 or 40 or 50 years after these events happened. And he's going to tell the story of Jesus to a church audience that he's writing to. And uh, they read this, and suddenly they hear the story. That, oh, this man was healed. He praises the Lord. He falls at Jesus' feet. <clears throat> Luke says, he was a Muslim. Oh, whoa. <laughs> he was a Samaritan falling at Messiah Jesus' feet. See, that's the shocker. And it doesn't affect us the way it would affect his audience, but it's very important. Because we assume there were ten lepers all heading toward the temple at Jerusalem. But guess what? This man doesn't worship at the temple of Jerusalem. He was probably heading toward a different temple. He was probably heading toward the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. 
You see, remember I told you the Samaritans were hated by the Jews? They took over the Samaria, Samaria area when the Jews were scattered. When the Jews came back, they didn't get along. But the Jews did influence them, and they believed in the Jewish God. They believed in Jehovah or Yahweh. Uh, but it was a corrupted un understanding of the religion. They weren't Jewish. They were Samaritans. They had their own temple on Mount Gerizim. Remember when Jesus met the Samaritan woman? And she said, where should we worship? Our fathers say we should worship over on this mountain. And the Jews say over on that mountain. Where should we worship? And so this guy was probably heading to a different temple. <coughs> probably nine of them were Jewish, heading toward the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And one was a Samaritan. He was heading back in the other direction, probably going to his own temple with his own priest. This guy was a foreigner, and he had a different religion. And this is the person that comes back and thanks Jesus, this man whom the Jews hated and who had bad theology. Today we would say he was a Muslim. Christians don't like Muslims. Muslims don't like Christians. And he has bad theology. Worship the same God. We all believe in one God. That's, that's the premise of Islam. There's one God, but they have bad theology. They follow Muhammad rather than Jesus. And this is the guy that comes back and falls at Jesus' feet. So, that's very important. Now, when we look at this passage, we learn several things. And uh, just let me draw a few observations here. Number one, we see from this that Jesus is building an international church. He's not building a Jewish church. His church is going to include everyone. He will even heal and accept the Muslim if he'll fall at his feet. Do you know that? Do you know he will heal and accept an atheist if he falls on these feet? Jesus is building an international church. That's the first thing that you see here. Second of all, notice that the healing is not based on ancestry. It's not based on your religion. Jesus heals this guy long before he falls on his feet, in fact. So the healing's not based on ancestry or religious background. Now, another thing I noticed when I was looking right here is I noticed that the healing is delayed. You see that? Now, that's a good news, bad news proposition. Not everybody Jesus heals does he heal instantly. In this case, it's as they're going toward the temple, or the temples, whatever the case may be, they're healed. Now, that can be discouraging when you're not healed instantly, but it's encouraging to know that Jesus heals, and sometimes the healing is delayed or it's progressive. We have a lot of people in our class right now that are sick, and we prayed for them, and we thought, well, God didn't heal them right away. Ah, oh, must not have gotten healed. How do you know? <laughs> but Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. They said, why? We're still sick. We're filled with leprosy. But guess what? He healed them, but it was the delayed healing. And God heals people today in a delayed manner. We can pray now, and he heals them later. Don't lose your faith. Don't think God's not doing something in their lives. God's healing people in our class even today that we prayed for a week ago, or two weeks ago, or three weeks ago. So while it can cause us to be discouraged, that's because we don't see things clearly. Sometimes healing is delayed. So I want to encourage you about that. 
So that's very important. Now look at verse 17 here. <coughs> so Jesus answered and he said to this guy, Were there not ten cleansed? And the answer is, yes. And then he says, well, where are the nine? Where are they? Well, they're on their way to the temple. Where do you think they are? They're on the way to the temple. You see, they keep the law. They keep Leviticus 14. They cross that dot every I and they'll cross every T. That's how Jews are. But this guy isn't concerned with the I's and the T's. This guy makes a U. A U-turn. Right back to Jesus. <laughs> and this guy comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Now you would have thought it would be the Jews that came back and fell at the feet of Jesus. But no, they're just going to keep the law and they're going to go right to that temple. Which is understandable. But this man, when he realizes he's healed, has such gratitude... He comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. So Jesus says, where are they? Well, they're not back here, that's for sure. They must still be heading toward the temple. Look at verse 18. Then he says this. Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? It's the foreigner who returned. No, God's own people, the Jews, they didn't return. Only this foreigner comes back and extends his gratitude toward God. Now, this is another one of those good news, bad news situations. The bad news is, well, they should have come back and given gratitude to Jesus. Uh, but they don't. But the good news is, guess what? They're still healed. <laughs> Jesus heals people and does things and shows mercy to people who are even ungrateful. Aren't you glad of that? <laughs> I am. Because a lot of times he does a lot of stuff for us, and guess what? We just take it in course. We don't thank him. I'm glad that he healed those that were ungrateful. Uh, I'm glad that one guy came back. This one guy comes back, and he gives gratitude to God. And where he gives gratitude to God is not at the temple. He gives gratitude to God at the feet of Jesus. And the place to praise God is at the feet of Jesus. Amen. You see, Jesus is replacing the temple. <laughs> it used to be God was in the temple. That's where God's presence resides. But the locust, or the presence of God, now resides in Jesus. And somehow this man intuitively just comes back and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus... And Jesus replaces the temple. He's mediating God to man. And God now is worshipped in Jesus. God's not worshipped in the temple. So these guys, although they are following the law, and they're going to go show themselves to the priest, as they should, the place to worship is no longer at the temple. The place to worship is at the feet of Jesus. Out with the old, in with the new. Which temple should we worship at, Lord? The woman at the well said. Our fathers say over here on Mount Gerizim, and yours say over here on Mount Zion. Which one is it? And Jesus said, it's not temples. God doesn't desire 
people to worship in temples made with hands. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we find God residing in Jesus Christ. And then we see this in verse 19. So he said to him, to the Samaritan, that foreigner, the man who's been changed, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you whole or well. Literally, your faith has saved you. Probably a better translation. The word there means your faith has saved you. And uh, this man gets more than just temporal healing. This man gets healing eternally. And so there are ten people who are cleansed of their leprosy, and there's one man who's redeemed from his sins. Because this man falls at the feet of Jesus. By the way, which would have been hurt. Now remember, there's a crowd around Jesus. This isn't being done in a vacuum in some back room somewhere. There are thousands of people around, and when Jesus says this, that your, that your faith has made you whole. Is that what he says there? I think he says something. Yes, your faith has made you. Your faith has saved you. This would have been a subversive statement. This would have been totally out of character because Jews did not believe that Samaritans could be saved, that's for sure. And uh, they everything was based on ancestry and purity and social status. And here's a man who has no social status. He has no ancestry. He's a foreigner. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole made you well, has saved you. And what about the Jews? Well, they're healed, but they're not saved. Boy, what a shock that would have been. And that's why, that's like saying today, well, you know, that Muslim just got saved because he put his faith in Christ. But there are nine church people that I know that belongs, even though they tithe. Even though they tithe every I and cross every T. So this, this would have had to have been to the audience that hears Jesus saying this, an absolute shock. It's another thing that just causes their, their jaws to drop, I think. Okay? So Jesus accepts us not on the basis of our religion, not on the basis of our status, not on the basis of whether we're pure, not on the basis of whether we're a foreigner or whatever. He accepts us on the basis of faith. Now this leads the Pharisees to ask a question. And that question is found in verse 20. Because they don't understand really what's going on. Now when, now when he was asked by the Pharisees, and I think this is a result of what they saw happen, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. <clears throat> now, very interestingly, they ask this question. They see the healing. And uh, they know in the kingdom of God there's going to be healings. Everybody's going to be healed in the kingdom of God. There's not going to be any sickness. So the Pharisees, I think, based on what's happened here, ask Jesus, well, when's the kingdom going to come? They don't understand this whole concept of kingdom. Notice that word when. That implies that the kingdom is what? In the future. You see that? When is the kingdom going to come? And he answered them and he said, at the end of verse 20, the kingdom does not come with observation. Which is an astronomer's term. Like an observatory. The kingdom doesn't come with observation. 
You can look up into the sky. An astronomer looks up into the sky. And he looks through, first of all, just from with his eyes. He can see the moon. He can see Venus. He can see the Big Dipper. He can see the North Star. Or he can look through a telescope and he can see things that you cannot see with your eyes. He observes a thing. He says the kingdom doesn't come that way through observation. The kingdom's not like that. In order to see the kingdom, you have to have eyes to see just can't be observed by everybody. And this is the whole thing. So many people don't see what God, what, that the kingdom has already come in the person of Jesus. They still see the kingdom as something way out there in the future. But the kingdom is already broken into time and space in the person of Jesus and through his ministry. And they don't see that. Now, it's very interesting. The leper saw it. The leper realized that Jesus was something special. And then he came back and fell on his feet. And Jesus forgave him of his sins. And said he's faith and made him whole. But the Pharisees, you didn't see them jumping up and down and clapping and saying, How will you? They scratched their heads and said, Well, when is the kingdom come? And he said, Well, you don't can't see the kingdom through observation. Now, very interesting, the Pharisees are very much like us because they have a false concept of the kingdom. Notice they say, when's it coming? Have you ever have, have anybody ever asked you that? Hey, when is when's Christ coming? When's the kingdom coming? See, we have this constant, we have this understanding that the kingdom is totally in the future. Boy, we must be in the very end of time. We see all those signs? Look at those signs. But wait, Jesus just said the kingdom doesn't come with what? Oh. Doesn't come with observation. You see, we're just like the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are just like us. Because you really can't see the kingdom unless God opens your eyes. And when He opens your eyes, guess what? You'll see the kingdom is right here now. Amen. It's not here in its fullness, but it's already started. Okay? It's not here in its fullness, but it's already begun. We're starting to see glimpses of the kingdom. You saw glimpses of the kingdom when Jesus healed this man. You saw glimpses of the kingdom when Jesus raised somebody from the dead. See? In the kingdom, guess what? Everybody's going to be raised from the dead in its fullness. And everyone's going to be healed. But we're getting glimpses of it right now. Already. So, Jesus says it's not discerned by observation. And then look what he says in verse 21. Nor will they say, see here... Or, see there, see here, or see there. Now watch this. The kingdom's not localized. Listen to me. The kingdom is not localized. It's not associated with a particular nation. Oh, it's right here in Jerusalem. It's not associated with a particular people. See? Uh, notice, when? When? They're asking about the future. When? See? And then Jesus says, in verse 21, see here or see there. They will say, see here or see there. When? When's it going to come? Where is it going to be? Oh, there it is. Look, there it is. See there? There it is. 
He said, no, you got the, all your questions are wrong. It's not here, it's not there, it's not like that. Look what he says. For indeed, see the kingdom transcends both of those things. For indeed, the kingdom of God is what? Better translation, the kingdom of God is among you or in your midst. It's not so much inside of you individually, but it's in your midst. It's right here. Here's the kingdom. Don't say, where is it? When's it going to come? Oh, there it is. Now, guess what? It's right here. And we're looking for a kingdom out there somewhere, even Christians today. Hey, guess where you have to look? Just look right here in our midst. And that's where the kingdom is. God's working even now, right in our midst among us. It's already active. When? Now. Where? Here. <laughs> Not there, there. Here. And that's what people miss. See, that's, that's the important thing. We're all looking for the wrong things and in the wrong way. We have a false concept of the kingdom. The kingdom has arrived already and it's in our midst. Now watch this. Why don't you look back at chapter 11. <clears throat> chapter 11. This is when Jesus cast out demons and they said he did it by Beelzebub. Remember that? And he rejected that explanation. Look at verse 20, 11, 20. He says, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, this is 11, 20. But if Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God is what? Come among you. It's already here. It's already in your midst. It's already started. It's been inaugurated. It's not here in its fullness. But the kingdom has already arrived. Because where God is, that's where the kingdom is, and God is in Christ, and he's manifested himself already. Jesus didn't heal every person in the world, but guess what? He healed some people in the world. Jesus didn't raise everybody from the dead, but he raised some people from the dead. And one day he's going to raise everybody from the dead. But the kingdom has already come, and it's in our midst, and it's hidden in a sense. There's a sense in which Christ reigns right now, and it's hidden. It's hidden except to those with the eyes of faith. And if we have the eyes of faith, guess what? We'll see that the kingdom is right here in our midst right now. Now let me give you a couple conclusions. Let me summarize this and give you a few points to take home with you. Okay? <clears throat> the fact that the kingdom has already arrived makes Christianity relevant. Okay? Point number one. The fact that Christ rules today means Christianity is relevant. If if Christ just died, and the only thing is that we go to heaven later on, then between now and then, guess what? What are we supposed to do? Just struggle? Are we without hope now? The fact that the kingdom has arrived right now gives us hope, and it makes Christianity relevant to us for today while we're alive. So that's very important. Number two, salvation is offered regardless of religion, ancestry, or station of life. I think that's what... Luke would want us to go come away with more than anything. But salvation is offered to us regardless of religion, ancestry, or station of life. You know, if you go out to Salt Lake City, 
People are so proud of their ancestry. They'll say, well, my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather came in with Brigham Young. And it's all, and then you have very much importance in your community because your ancestor goes way back to the first settlers in Salt Lake City. Or up in Boston, they have the Boston Brahmins. People trace their ancestry all the way back to the beginning. My, grand, my aunt was in the Daughters of the American Revolution. That, that really meant something. And, uh, you know, it's crazy how people think that that's going to give them a good standing before the Lord. That gives you no standing before the Lord. It doesn't matter your background. Okay, next, to take home with you. While God's grace is poured out on all, while God's grace is poured out on all, it's only by faith that we can receive eternal life. See, he healed all of them. There's God's common grace. He, he pours out his rain on the just and the unjust. People don't even recognize him. God's blessings, his grace is poured out on them every day. But guess what? Eternal life only comes to those who respond in faith to him. The tragedy is, the great thing is that the nine were healed. The tragedy is that there was so much more they could have experienced. And there's so much more we can experience. And the next point I want you to take home with you is that some people come to Christ only when they have an urgent need. Some people come to Christ only when they have an urgent need. These people had an urgent need that came to Christ. Very few people come to Christ just to give him thanks. And when you come to Christ when you don't need him, and you come to Christ just to thank him. That's when the real blessings come. He got an unexpected blessing. He even found salvation that day. And the other one that we've mentioned already is that <clears throat> the wall has passed away. And with Christ comes in a new covenant. Judaism, the temple, all that's passed away. We're no longer under that wall. We don't have to worry about whether we dot our eyes or cross our teeth correctly. That God's presence is now found in Jesus Christ. God is in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And we have access to Christ through faith. So let's take this message home. Very interestingly, what we're going to see next week, I want you to go back to Luke 17 just for a moment. I want to show you, just make a connection for you so you'll see how this fits together. In Luke 17, in verse 21 that we just read, nor will they say, see here or see there, for the kingdom of God is within you. Now look at verse 22. This is what we're going to pick up next week. Then he said to his disciples, ah, before he was speaking to the Pharisees, now he speaks to the disciples, the days will come when you will desire to what? See. Ah, you see, you see. You see that it's related to the sea in verse 21. You'll desire to see that one of the days of the Son of Man. Notice in verse 20, the kingdom doesn't come with what? Observation. See, see. Now look verse 22. The days will come when you will desire to see and to observe one of the days of the Son of Man. And you will what? Not see it. You see that? Look at verse 23. And they will say to you, what? Look here. Or, look there. You see that how it's related to this week's message? 
Do not go after them or follow them. You see, the message that he teaches to the Pharisees is the same message he teaches to the disciples. Watch out for those who are always hunting for a sign. Always running here or there after this prophecy teacher, that prophecy teacher, and saying, here's a sign, look at this, always oh, coming back soon, see this? He says, no, it doesn't happen that way. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And guess what? When he does come back, no one will have to say, uh, look here, look there, because when he comes back, it'll be like lightning that shines out of the east and unto the west. And guess what? At that point, when the full kingdom comes in the fold, everyone will see it. No one will have to say, hey, look over there. Look over there. Everybody will see it. Right now, the kingdom is open to those who have sight to see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for the Thanksgiving season. May we learn the lesson of this foreigner, this despised Samaritan who was hated by the Jews, and yet the Jewish Messiah reached out and redeemed him. Help us, Lord, to come to you by faith. Help us to show our appreciation when you touch our lives. Help us to have encouragement and hope for those people that we've prayed for, knowing that some will be healed. It's just delayed. Lord, we look to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Help us to, to be faithful. Help us to be kingdom people. Help us to expect great things from you. Help us to do great things for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah.